Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Hello and welcome everyone to the Shift with CJ podcast where we take a deep dive in longevity, health and self-discovery. Today, we're going to extend it even more because we're going to look into healing, personal growth, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined us today. I'm your host, CJ, and today we've got a special guest for you who has dedicated her life to helping others break free of limited beliefs, look and find clarity in their lives, and truly unlock their true potential. She is an insightful therapist. She is a guiding light, beacon of wisdom. Let's give a warm welcome to Tanya. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you, CJ. I'm so excited to be here and to see what unfolds between us. Amazing. I'm super excited as well. So, you know, we spoke about, um, or I did mention that you help your clients break free from this thing called limiting beliefs. And a lot of people don't really, or if someone told me limited be- limiting beliefs for the first time, I might be confused. So can you tell us what limiting beliefs are? Yeah, it, it can be quite confusing. And I know even I'll talk it through with clients and groups and even myself when I'm trying to explain some of the ins and outs of it, it can be confusing, but I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. For many of us, limiting beliefs grow out of our childhoods and from the families that we grew up in and the cultures also that we grew up in, some ideas, some messaging that we got along the way. Um, And for some people, they may have some more um, intense experiences in adulthood that can add to it. So there could be some other limiting beliefs that grow out of that as well. So they are things like, um, I have to hustle for my worth. So that it's about what I do. I earn my worth from other people or from things that I do so that other people will see my worth. That's an example of it. Or... I will be abandoned if I don't please others is another example of a limiting belief. Um, I'm too much is an example of a limiting belief. And they all grow out of different patterns. So, for example, I have to be very mindful about people pleasing. That's my tendency. And it's that behavior is connected to a limiting belief that I will be abandoned if I'm not agreeable. And if I don't say yes, or if I'm not very nice to people who I'm interacting with. And in part that grew out of just the culture that I grew up in. There's a lot of that, especially for women to be a good girl, that kind of thing. But in particular, I grew up with a mother who had a lot of anxiety and that anxiety came out often as anger and rage. So as a kid, I learned don't rock the boat, just do what my mom wants me to do, you know, that kind of thing. And so some of that people pleasing stuff in my life started just to keep me safe from sort of that negativity. My mother was never abusive physically, but it was very uncomfortable if it went into this angry expression towards me, if if she did. So that's part of what I learned along the way. But other people maybe who 
got straight A's all the time in school and got a lot of positive accolades for that kind of thing and felt that their worth was connected to that kind of attention might put achievement above all else and not be able to check in, honor themselves, their energy levels, or what their hearts might want because there's such an external focus on how to receive the things that they want. So I hope that feels more clear. Um, Yes, it does. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you. I really appreciate you diving into your own personal story. And while you were saying that, you know, I had a similar childhood to yours and still there are times that I have, I catch myself now. I'm just a bit more aware because of all the work that I've been doing with myself and around people that I'm a bit more conscious and I can backtrack and say, "Ah, there goes my tendency to people, please. I mean, Mm -hmm. because of the same sort of a scenario where certain emotions could come across as too harsh as a child. And since we're, humans were hardwired not to suffer in a way so we want to avoid suffering so we tend on doing something um, repeatedly and if it happens way too earlier in age then our subconscious mind develops this kind of a pattern and in neuroplast according to neuroscience they say that neurons that fire together wire together so i think we break or not break but we form this intense bond of actions which we keep on doing again and again, unless someone comes to our life and we're aware enough to say, uh-huh, that I see what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. you're from a different culture. I'm from a different culture. We grew up in different times, different countries. But in your work with people, do you see that regardless of wherever people are, they tend to have similar tendencies, like depending on what kind of a childhood they've had, they could be, you know, they can express themselves in more or less similar manners is that Mm -hmm. is that similar across different countries or do you think some countries have it figured out better than the others that's a good question i mean in my work i definitely see so much overlap so i Mm -hmm. would say the patterns repeat more than they don't i mean people have their own nuanced versions of what does come up for them and then just the the neurons that fire together, wired together, for sure, this stuff gets really entrenched. And I think, I was going to say, depending on the culture, but maybe this is in many cultures, some of the messaging that we got as kids and growing up is still very present. We still celebrate certain things like workaholism and productivity and certain things that have some positivity to them, of course, but that if you're not also checking in with yourself and balancing out what your own needs are, then um, then you lose yourself in that process. So I feel like I just went on a tangent, but to say that, yes, for sure, in my work with people, I see more overlap than not. Mm-hmm. And do you... Do you have this sort of, uh, when you meet younger people these days, like Generation Z, which have a completely different environment than what we grew up in with the advances of technology and a lot of these different kind of social media messages that are bombarding through them, do you think the generations from now, will they have a different outlook towards life or will they turn out to be a little bit different or will they get carried on with some sort of a similar patterns? 
I feel really hopeful. I do feel like the younger generations are much more open to even doing personal growth work. What does that look like? There's more open conversation about that, about being human, about some of the struggles. I think there might be some of that messaging that gets in there because the younger generation is parented by my generation. Mm -hmm. So many of the people in my generation are just starting to, if they're doing work on themselves, just starting to understand, oh, wait a minute, some of the messaging we got is not really helpful. So I think that there is some shifting happening, but it takes a while and that it gets very entrenched. And I also think if intellectually we start to understand things differently, that's great and that's a start, but the emotional part takes some time to catch up to that. And so I think in my generation, um, we're starting to understand it intellectually and we're struggling a bit with some of the emotional sort of connection to some of these ideas that the younger generations I think are a little bit more connected to. So because the younger generation is parented by people who probably struggled with Mm -hmm. really fully um, being able to connect to some of these ideas that um, connecting to your heart matters, that kind of thing. And, you don't need to follow what the social norms are or what we've done before, that kind of thing. Um, Mm. Even if that gets expressed, if that's not what our kids are witnessing being modeled for them, then they're still not going to be able to fully embody that because they're watching something different happening, even if the words sound right. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I always keep on wondering how, because we just, we don't have enough data now, but of course we will have in the next few years. You also talk about energetic clutter clearing. Now we know that, you know, mom's been always telling that clear the, clear the stuff in your room. A lot of the times in schools, people will hear don't have too much clutter. We also see the rise of minimalism going on where people say reduce the clutter in your life, but energetical clutter clearing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. And there is a physical clutter can be an element of that because Mm -hmm. the way we feel in a physically cluttered space, that's why all that messaging has gotten so popular. The way we feel in a physically cluttered space can be very uncomfortable and it can impact how we feel in that space. And so then we're not as productive and all of that, or not as comfortable in our skin in that kind of space. And if we are the ones that have created that clutter, I think there's often this idea of like, oh, I need to do something about this. But then if somebody's struggling to follow through with that, or perhaps they've cleared the physical clutter, but then it builds back up, there can be some emotions connected to that. So there is a piece of physical clutter connected to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I mean when I say energetic clutter also are these ideas, these limiting beliefs that if we're not looking at them and questioning the ones that we carry because they, Mm -hmm. whatever our beliefs are, whether they're limiting or otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. they will run the show for us. They are the lenses that we see the world through. And so if we're carrying some limiting beliefs, we can go back to the people pleasing idea, then it's going to 
um, impact the choices that we make along the way. And so let's say with the people pleasing, then you end up saying yes to a lot of social events, taking care of certain projects that you don't really have time for that are not drain out your energy. That's exactly right. And so it's like any of these limiting beliefs that any of us may carry, they're so externally focused. And so we lose sight of ourselves. We're focusing on other things. There's a lot of should connected Mm -hmm. to it. We feel like we need to do certain things or we should do certain things in order to be loved, in order to be successful, in order to show up in the way that we want to show up. And then we get depleted and connected to getting depleted. We're not able to connect to our own intuition. We don't even know what we want sometimes because we're so busy in these other realms doing things for other people or other situations that we're not necessarily choosing for ourselves. We're exhausted. We're irritable. We can get resentful. We can feel like certain things aren't happening for us and don't really understand it. And so that's what I mean when I say energetic clutter, all that stuff that takes up so much energy if we're not mindful and uh, if we're not being very intentional about deciding what are we going to say yes to, what are we going to say no to, and why, and how do we honor ourselves? Mm-hmm. I think we should take out the word should from the dictionary. <laughs> I know. I agree. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I agree. I mean, a- and the thing is, is I catch myself still, even though yeah. I know this, I still say it. And I, but I try We're to working be really progress. mindful. Yes, yes. And I try to be really mindful. And if I catch myself, say it to reframe and mm-hmm. to acknowledge that there's a, a different way to word whatever it was that maybe led to the word should being used but i often will reframe it to i choose mm-hmm. and so um to help people decide well what are you going to choose and there's some more ownership in that so yeah you have more somebody, agency yeah that's right yeah it's interesting thank you for sharing that because anyone who's listening please take notes replace your shoulds with i choose which gives you the power to do it and mm-hmm. um you know i think Clutter and physical clutter, energetical clutter is so important to declutter in our lives because, you know, there have been studies which have shown us that just reducing the amount of physical clutter in your life can enhance your uh, well-being, it enhances focus, it makes you more relaxed. The eastern side of things have been seeing this for a very long time, like in Feng Shui, they say every time you have a clutter that actually blocks energetic flow and that can transform into like various life forces in your body. In the Indian yogic system, there's a word called saucha, which means cleanliness. And mm-hmm. it's not just cleanliness. A lot of people would think cleanliness of the place, but that cleanliness even extends to our mental, emotional realm. And from what I hear you saying is that all of those thoughts and feeling not good enough, all of those things can actually block us mentally. And over a period of time, like you mentioned, the lens of the world that we start, that we look at changes. So, you know, it could be mm-hmm. like maybe in the next five or 10 years, if you have the same lens, the world looks a bit more dull and, you know, you attract the same thing again and again. So completely agree with you on that. So you work with a lot of people and you help them get onto this self-discovery and transformation journey. Is transformation always easy or (laughs) there are 
is it all, or let me put it this way because a lot of people listening to this and a lot of people think that oh yeah transformation and you know understanding yourself is a comfortable thing but i want to ask you this comfort uh, question is it comfortable or is it uncomfortable and why? <laughs> yeah and of course i chuckled a bit when you asked me that question because i think transformation so often goes hand in hand with discomfort. I mean, that's part of it because, I mean, sort of what we're talking about, about all these um, entrenched ways that we can move through our lives if we're not paying attention to it. And then when we do start to see it in action, pay attention, know to question some of the patterns that exist in our lives Absolutely, it can be uncomfortable, especially because these patterns initially got developed to keep us safe. And I know you were talking about in childhood, we develop these patterns for whatever reason we develop these patterns, but really it is about safe or unsafe. The brain is always deciding safe or unsafe. And so if those are the only two um, things that the brain is figuring out. I mean, obviously the brain does more than that, but between safe and unsafe, it's only deciding safe or unsafe. Something only has to be a little bit negative for it to go on to the unsafe into the unsafe category. And so it can be very scary when these patterns were developed to keep us safe to stop doing them. It I know when I recognized my own pattern with people pleasing and then I became less accommodating not because I was trying to not be accommodating for other people but I knew that I needed to have different kind of boundaries for myself to honor my own energy levels to decide what would work for me or what wouldn't work for me which was a switch for me and definitely it triggered some discomfort and I had to talk myself through it and remind myself that it's okay to choose myself. In fact, it's important to choose myself and, you know, to remind myself why, because for sure a lot of discomfort get, got kicked up. And then working with people in their own transformations, I do get a little bit excited when I hear people talk about some of the discomfort because I know they're touching something deep and something meaningful, not just because it's uncomfortable, but I know that that's where transformation lies and starting to uncover some of that stuff and question some of that, those patterns that are just in existence and have been in existence for so long is, is an exciting movement towards a new growth for somebody. Yeah, for me, the days that I've slept well and I am, you know, in the zone, I'm able to catch myself and talk myself out of it. And the days that I'm not, I tell, I usually tell myself, okay, one last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, normally, normally that's sometimes the way that I deal with it. And I completely agree. Discomfort or being uncomfortable is something that a lot of people run away from, but the best things in life will always come outside of your comfort zone. And why that's why it's uncomfortable because you're actually going outside. And um, this, I always tell people like every moment you have a choice. So I tell people that there, there are only two choices. One is you stay in safety or you go into growth. So I tell people like every moment you have this choice of either stepping back into safety or forward into growth. And 
if you want to gamify it, you can actually give yourselves points through the entire day where you get plus one for stepping into growth. And this could be taking, this could be either catching yourself or making the, the smallest decision where your brain's natural tendency was to just step back into safety. And if you took mm-hmm. one step, whether it's saying hi to a stranger or, you know, asking people out for coffee or something, sending that email or calling that old friend, that means you're stepping forward into growth. So you give yourself one point. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people find this exercise also interesting. So thank you for sharing your experience because, again, a lot of people think it's comfortable and comfort will never get us the real growth that we need. So sometimes I think it's also great with the whole neuroplasticity thing because every time you teach your body to step into a situation which is uncomfortable, first it's overwhelming, but if you do it too often, then it doesn't it's not as overwhelming as the first time you just yeah. get you just practice it right that's right that's right yeah. so you also mentioned a very interesting concept which is common humanity so please tell us about common humanity because most people think that there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. itself <laughs> yeah 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 for sure i mean and that's probably what i hear most of all for my clients when they get hard on themselves and i would say more often than not m- most of us get hard on our- ourselves and it is that where we go oh what's the matter with me mm-hmm. and that's such a typical response to that and i think in my own journey and you and i didn't talk about my journey but just to say briefly i started my career out as a graphic designer and became a therapist after i went into first therapy and then a group therapy situation that changed my life and i think what was the most powerful was being in this group therapy situation where i was able to be connecting to other human beings on their own personal growth journeys as I was going through my first personal growth, like a real life-changing personal growth journey of my own. And I've continued to be on that journey ever since. But being in that space and getting to know people on a deeper level, their internal worlds, we're all sharing that with each other. I could see these people that I started to develop relationships with and see how amazing they were and see them struggle with some similar insecurities to what I was struggling with. And it helped me see, oh, we're all kind of struggling in a very similar way, but they're pretty amazing. And so I could tell them, you know, oh no, that, you know, your insecurity is wrong. You're amazing. And it gave me just enough of a crack in my own story to say, oh, wait a minute, if they're so amazing, but they don't always see that and they can't always feel that, could the same be true for me? And so that allowed me to really not believe some of that stuff that comes up and see it more as, oh, yeah, we're human. We question ourselves. We can doubt ourselves. And then to learn, oh, that's not the voice that I want to listen to. And, um, you know, and I've heard a lot of people, and I agree with this, say you don't want to stuff the inner critic voice because it's there to kind of support you and help you in a way. But coexist. How do we coexist with some of those Um, thoughts that may come up that question ourselves, but just to know 
And, and in the work that I do, I am lucky enough to be on many people's personal growth journeys. And I get sort of a front row seat for towards um, connecting to their inner world. So it just helps reinforce again and again, that we humans struggle often with ideas of our own worth. And how do we not let that be true for us and to know that this is being human and questioning is part of what happens to humans. So there you go, guys. You heard it from a real expert that it's all okay. Even if you are sad, upset, you're questioning yourself, it's all a part of the human journey. And, you know, Tanya, you mentioned something that when you were in that situation and you could look at others and you could see that they're great. I mean, it was great to hang out with them. You got to see that they were on similar things. It reminds me of a Zen sort of philosophy it's called wabi sabi have you heard about that before mm -hmm. so no wabi, it sounds yeah. a little familiar but no yeah, you tell. might have yeah so wabi sabi is about finding the beauty in the most imperfect and the transient mm. thing because things are changing all the time so if you guys want to have your wabi sabi hat on and you know you're having a situation think about it where all humans happens to everyone and try to find a little bit of beauty in it You also mentioned group um, mm. sort of a thing. So a lot of people would like to, some people would love to be in a group. Some people wouldn't. What's your take? Does group therapy work for everyone? Yeah. Um, I kind of think it works for everyone. Not everyone's mm -hmm. open to it. So yeah. I think if somebody's closed off for it, they're not going to let in the gifts that group mm -hmm. can offer. Um, but I deal with a lot of fear when I start to talk to some of my individual clients about group could be a next step for them and they could join one of the groups that I run. Um, sometimes people are open and they're ready to take, maybe it feels a little bit scary, but they're still ready to take that step. But more often than not, people are initially quite resistant. I think The worry is about being vulnerable in front of other people mm. that they don't know, but that doesn't stay. They don't stay strangers for long. I mean, that's often what people say. I'm not going to be vulnerable with a group of strangers. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's some fear. And I know when I did my group, I went into that situation because I was struggling with having a long-term love relationship of my own. And so my inner critic or the explanation that I made up in my own mind about why I was struggling with that was that maybe I was unlovable. So I went into a group situation feeling like, oh my gosh, I hope nobody can see that I am in fact unlovable. That's the fear, you know, that I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to tell people my worry and they're going to say something like, oh yeah, that's true actually. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when people are, people are afraid of showing being vulnerable because they're afraid that people will also question their worth. And, um, and I also think people are a little bit worried. They're not going to get their needs met in a group situation that they're going to have to sit politely while other people speak and that it's not going to really be meaningful to them while they're waiting for other people to finish speaking. But that's not what happens with group group. I mean, if a group is run well, I suppose it can happen with some groups, but if a group is run well, um, 
what happens is a culture gets created where there is, um, it is safe to be emotionally vulnerable with each other. And as people start to do that, relationships get formed and it's a place where, you know, people can have the experience of being seen a little bit more fully and feeling accepted anyway, uh, even though they're sharing some of the scarier inner stuff and being able to see overlap so that as people share the way I run my groups, I always ask everybody in group to comment on what's resonating for them as they're hearing other people share what they're sharing and what the members of my group start to see is how much they are like each other and how many experiences, even when the particulars are very different, but how much the emotional experiences are so similar and then feel seen and supported and, um, and then needs getting met just is a little bit different because you can see yourself in somebody else. So you don't need to even be talking to necessarily grow or have a life-changing moment in a group situation. Wow, that's powerful, actually. Never thought of it that way. Because every time you have groups, I know for a fact that the collective energy of the place can rise, depending on, you were correct, how the group is hosted or who is the moderator of the group. It could be either ways, because I've been on some spiritual ceremonies and some of the things where it wasn't managed properly and things became mm. a mess. But I think the social connect, the interconnectedness of the energies of people, this is a win-win situation because when we look at some of the longest lived people in the world, and I always go back to longevity and the science of longevity, mm -hmm. social connect is one of the most strongest factors for people to be joyful, for people to have contentment, and for people to look at the world from a lens of hope. And the opposite is also true when you're socially disconnected. And sometimes that's that might be one of the reasons which is triggering you in the first place that mm. you might be around a lot of people, but that doesn't mean you're you know socially connected. You could be internally disconnected. And yeah. you mentioned something in the beginning of the podcast, which I want to go to go back to, which was mm -hmm. you start or a person when they start saying yes too often, they say mm. yes to social things, they say yes to things that they themselves aren't maybe at that moment of time because of something in their life, they don't have the capacity to engage in certain situations, responsibilities, commitments, but they often say yes. So why do you think this happens and what should people do? If people were listening to this, they find themselves saying yes to too many things? Is there any certain boundaries that they can put? What are your tips on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's happening because of the reasons that we spoke about earlier with some of the limiting beliefs, but maybe not only that. I mean, mm -hmm. I think volume is important to pay attention to. You may love every single thing you're saying yes to, but also if you're not honoring your energy level, and you're just saying yes to too much, it could be like a cluttered room that has tons of beautiful things in there, but it's just too much in that space. So you can't appreciate any one of them really, because there's too many things crowding that space. And so I think to really get discerning about 
what you want to say yes to and tolerate disappointment. I think that's part of what comes up for us is that when we start to set boundaries and get more discerning and make some choices, then um, people very likely will be disappointed. We may get some pushback that could be part of the discomfort. Um, So yeah, in terms of a way to handle that, I think what I often talk to people about doing is for them to spend a little time tracking their own energy and sort of some of the pain points. So if you're feeling irritable much of the time, if you're feeling depleted or resentful much of the time, pay attention to that and jot it down. And let's look, what are the patterns? What are the rhythms? And so it could be something like, I say yes to my partner all the time, because I feel like, I don't know, that's what I'm supposed to do as a, as a good partner, I need to say yes, or something. By tracking it, we can start to uncover what are the patterns? When are we saying yes? And what would a boundary look like? I know you said earlier about um, when you are when you have slept well and you have eaten well, you're much more likely to be able to do some of the harder steps to take care of yourself. And that when you're not, when you haven't been um, able to take as good care of yourself, then you're a little less likely Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And I think that that is such a good point about this stuff can be hard and uncomfortable. And so the better we take care of ourselves, the better we can start to do some of these things, um, setting boundaries, saying no, but just recognizing where we even want to do it. I was going to say when you said, oh, just this one more time, that awareness alone, though, is something to celebrate. So even though yeah, you may be not making the best choice for yourself in that moment, having clarity and awareness is so important and so huge and not expecting ourselves to be perfect. Um, But I always encourage people to start really small. And if there's some pattern that they're recognizing, they've tracked it, they've decided, okay, I'm going to say no. Let's say I'm going to say no to getting into an intense late night conversation my cutoff time is 11, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe saying what the boundary is, is the first step. And then whether or not you honor it is less important this time, you know, like that you're working towards it and to know that you're working towards something and that you've taken a step. And when I say celebrate, I just mean, yay you and just acknowledge to yourself how amazing it is that you've taken a step. And that's something that we do in our group together is that when somebody has taken that kind of a set step or set some sort of a boundary, we know what a big deal it is. And we know that even a little more awareness and a little shift, right? Shift with CJ, a little shift is something that's so huge. Even if it's tiny, it's still huge because this stuff can be so entrenched that just starting to get aware and make a tiny bit of a different decision can help us live differently. Yeah. I always like to tell people that, you know, celebrate the small things more often than not. We put, again, this goes back into the concept of overachieving, being type A and, you know, achieving a lot of things, still not being happy, trying to achieve even more. And when we cannot get to that point, because 
sometimes physically, mentally, energetically, it's difficult to achieve so many things when you have so many other things going on. So for me, I like to tell people mm-hmm. is like, even if you hit something really small, like mm-hmm. celebrate your smaller wins. Yes. And as much as you celebrate, I mean, you don't have to go all out, but like as long as you recognize it and celebrate it, your brain is again going to start getting into a pattern to recognizing these things. And even from a neurobiological standpoint, you every time you celebrate something or, or every time you have the most smallest things and you tick them off, you get this dopamine release in the brain. And naturally, dopamine is an addictive molecule. So your brain will identify these patterns to get you more dopamine. Now, it could be having cocaine, but it could also be celebrating those smaller things every day. So, mm-hmm. you know, these small things are so powerful. And I think everyone who's listening to this, it's great to have bigger dreams, aspirations. You give yourself big targets. But the, the I remember hearing a quote once. It says, the sublime enters through the mundane or the mm-hmm. cosmic can always come from the atomic. So all of those things just means for everyone who's listening that in order to achieve that bigger goal, you have to get the smaller things first. Instead of focusing on the destination, focus on the process because if you're focusing too much on the destination, you'll hit your head somewhere. So thank Mm. you for sharing that. Another thing that is a buzzword these days, there are two buzzwords. Uh, One is manifestation and one is Mm -hmm. intention. What Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on these? Yeah, I think that they're important ideas and I think that they can be quite simple, really. I mean, I think in terms of either of those, I feel like manifestation is connected to intention. Um, Energy follows intention, but it takes being deliberate and maybe as simple as saying the words, this is where I want to put my energy, this is my intention, and getting more and more clear about what that is. And um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes people maybe think manifestation is some kind of magical woo-woo thing. Um, and But I think it's so connected to this intention idea and being mindful about the words that we use, what we say, and catch ourselves too, because we may say, oh, this is my intention, but then it's possible to kind of undo all of that if Mm -hmm. we're not paying attention with some of what we're actually, sort of how we're actually showing up. And so if we go back to this limiting belief idea, and let's say, um, Hmm, I'm trying to think. Okay. So in, we were talking about just discomfort, right? And so part of what I've done over the past year and a half or so is I am exploring this next chapter in my business. Part of that was to guest on podcasts. Mm -hmm. That was something that really brought on a lot of anxiety at first, but I did it anyway. And then over time, thank you. And over time, it's gotten a little bit easier, but I always feel a little bit anxious right before. Um, and I think just knowing 
what discomfort are we going to tolerate because we have some intention connected to that? It's not as simple as saying, oh, I just want to do this thing, but I'm not going to get myself out there because that's too uncomfortable. Then we're at odds with ourselves, if that makes sense. So we can have this idea of what we want for ourselves, but without sort of seeing how we're going to show up and be in that space, um, then we're not going to be able to really honor what the intention is. So I think to really look at that and understand, well, what does the action look like? What, how are we showing up if that's our intention? You also mentioned about, um, you know, being mindfully aware of certain things. What are your tips for people who aren't that mindfully available? Is there a place that they can start and, you know, build on? Is there a practice that you normally give people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I always talk to people about really getting to know yourself. And I know for myself, I, I mentioned earlier, my old people-pleasing tendencies that I always need to kind of stay mindful of. And I also have a tendency to live in my head a lot and think a lot. And so it's that knowing your patterns and catching it in action and kind of helping yourself go into some of that new pattern. And I think a lot of that starts with getting really quiet in spaces with yourself to connect to yourself. I know Throughout my day, I have a practice of what do you want, what do you need, kind of checking in on myself in that way. And partly I do that to make sure I'm not like wheels turning, only in my head, losing sight of my body. And and I use a, you know, just a practice of connecting to my breath for a moment, coming back into my body, that kind of thing. And so I would recommend that for anybody to give yourself time to get quiet with yourself. It can be like what I describe with myself multiple times throughout the day. I don't think it has to be a long time, but it's kind of taking the temperature, how am I doing, what's going on today, that kind of thing, and making sure that you're catching your breath, that you're not only living in your head, that you're coming back into your body. I think a lot of emotional experiences and being present happen when we're in our bodies. And so to be really aware when we're sort of not in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying we, because I think so many of us can struggle with a, a very similar thing where we get so lost in our heads and our thoughts. And, um, and that can even be a um, prompt. So if we catch ourselves starting to like effort so hard, it's sort of what you were describing mm -hmm. even about wanting a certain outcome and trying so hard. That's that's ignoring the process and kind of just looking ahead and living in the future. And I think just catching that and bringing ourselves back into the moment is a really helpful, important process. I mean, different things can be helpful also within that, like journaling or um, going for a walk movement. I mean, there's so many different ways to connect to yourself, but at the very least to be aware of that pattern of possibly losing ourselves and coming back into our bodies can be a really helpful practice to have. Thank you for sharing that. I think, yes, we have very powerful brains over evolution and we have this unique ability, which no other creature has, which is to time travel and go in the future and time travel and go in the past. So 
most of the times we're either in the future or in the past, but never in the present moment. And mm -hmm. a lot of great teachers and a lot of um, people out there tell us about the power of actually being in the very present moment, noticing things around you, being with yourself, like you mentioned. Yeah. And it's crazy because a lot of, like you said, most of us, but I think like 99% of us, we're not able to, we're able to be with our phones, with our laptops, with a pile of work, even sometimes with the people that we don't like with, but we're not able to be with our own self. Mm. And when you speak to most of the people, they're like, oh, you know what? I can get into the past or go into the future. And I can, I don't want to use the strong word suffering, but mm. maybe a subtype of we start suffering our own self. We don't even need anyone's help. It's like all on self-help. Automated. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of the times also what I see is a lot of people cannot be with themselves and then they, we like to pass on the buck to others. So mm. I could, if Tanya, you and me are in a room and I tell you, or I tell people, you know what, I was with Tanya, so I wasn't feeling that good. You know, I was having these emotions. So it's probably her. But what I see is when most people are sitting by themselves, they're still having the same thing. So definitely they're in bad company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. I mean, I think so many people struggle with that and I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle and he exactly. talks so yeah, much about right yeah. being in the present moment and that we're suffering when we're fighting against the present moment. And I think he said, there's three choices. If we don't like the present moment, you have three choices. One is you can change the present moment Two, you can accept it or you can sort of leave the situation. Those are your three choices that you have to make. And I think what can happen is we can live in this place of not even sort of considering what we can do with the present moment. We're just somewhere else mm -hmm. altogether. So yeah. And, and to start to practice that, what does that feel like? You're right. So many of us are uncomfortable with being in that present moment. And so if you can be honest with yourself and name for any of us, you know, and, and to say, Oh yeah, I do struggle with that. I want to strengthen that muscle. What does that look like? And that can be a practice as well to start, all right, I'm just going to sit with myself for 10 minutes with mm -hmm. no, nothing. I'm not going to oh. do anything necessarily, but I'm just going to be with myself and start to tolerate some of the discomfort that comes up and be in that space and be able to be with ourselves more I think is a very worthy practice yeah meditation is a good one for people who mm -hmm. want to start you know they can start with three five ten minutes of meditation and strengthen those muscles as you rightly put and yeah Eckhart Tolle I was also thinking about him but I mentioned that because him and his work he is so predominantly focus or telling us to focus on the present moment because mm -hmm. what was your past was once a present moment and what is your future is going to be the present moment itself so as long as yeah. you focus over there even you know in the zen way they they have something called as zazen which means your attention is in the present moment in and i mean you know you can go anywhere most of the even if you go in tibetan cultures they have other words for it but Basically, as long as you focus on yourself, on the clarity and gain clarity within your own self, then you can even get to higher states of consciousness. But of course, to begin with, you can just get control of yourself. 
Tanya, I've had so much fun talking to you. We can keep going on, but I know, of course, there are time limits to us. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you a question. If you had a time machine and you could go back in time, well, we always we do it in our heads every day, but let's say you could yeah. really go back <laughs> in time. Yeah. Then, knowing everything that you know right now, what would be that one or two pieces of advice that you would give your younger self? Mm. The thought that came up for me really is going back probably to high school, college age, when I was really feeling so angsty about other people and how I was seen in the world and so harsh about feeling like, oh, I wasn't measuring up. And to help myself know about what we talked about earlier, that, oh, this is just the human experience, kind of everybody in your situation, whether you can tell or not, people are questioning themselves as well. And you're fine. You're really fine. And I think that just to reassure myself would be <laughs> helpful. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your story. If people are inspired by this conversation, they want to reach out to you, they want to start working with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way is to come to my website. Um, and it's my name, but I have an easier to remember URL as well, mm -hmm. which is clearenergeticclutter.com. Um, yeah, and that would be a great place to start. And there's some goodies on there. I've got a little documentary about the story that I shared about how group therapy had changed my life and some other things. So amazing. Yeah. Thank you for being generous and putting it on there. And I will put those in the show notes. I'll be posting a few snippets of this on Instagram. And if you guys are will be listening through Instagram, then those um, handles will be there with your Twitter and sorry, your TikTok and your Instagram handle. So Tanya, it's been a great time for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all that you've been doing in this world, all the healing that you've brought into this world. And thank you for letting us know that it's okay. And it's common humanity. I think that summarizes all of this really well, that instead of just suffering our own psychological things, just know mm -hmm. that everyone's going through it. So let's play with it. Let's enjoy it. Let's embrace it. Let's see the process. Maybe it turns out to be, you know, something beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, CJ. I've really enjoyed talking with you as well. And thank you for having me join your community. I really love that. I, I love talking to you. Uh, thank you so much. And this is me, CJ, signing out of the Shift for CJ podcast. Everyone, have a great day, have a great week, have a great lifetime ahead of you. And remember, in times where you're not feeling the best, you're not the only one. It's just one of those days. So yeah. embrace it. I'll see you guys in the next podcast. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website www.shiftwithcj.com